Hi, Michaela. Hi, Steve. Well, today we are continuing with our AMA questions, Ask Michaela Anything Questions. So thank you for all those people who sent them in and please keep them coming. Today's AMA is how to support a man in going through his grief. I see many women mommying their man through grief. Good question. Well, this is something that comes up quite a bit in the in you know live workshops where um, women are asking how do you actually deal with relationship without falling into some of the traps, right? So I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, that what are the traps, and then uh, we can look at how grief you know, plays out within that. So some of the traps in relationship that are commonly seen, and certainly we see them in workshops and uh, private sessions a lot, is the dynamic of uh, mommy, mommy, you know, and uh, son. Uh, that's a very common thing. And of course, a lot of people know about that because it's one of the dynamics that's easy, easy to point out. And so mommy, son, and there's, of course, also daddy, daughter, kind of, that's the other side of it. But this is a, a woman asking about her male partner. So the mommy, son dynamic is essentially a dynamic where um, one partner gets infantilized into uh, being seen as somebody who can't take care of things or isn't reliable or uh, is immature in some way and needs to be corralled and and dealt with the way you would potentially raise a child, right? That's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is um, essentially trying to prevent strong emotions and making everything okay so that it's nice and peaceful and and uh, you know and easy relationship. So those are the two sides of the mommy-son relationship. And of course, what that typically means is that then uh, the, the the mommy character in the relationship starts doing more and more. And in the context of that, often gets quite resentful on one end, and then on the other end, gets overprotective and uh, somewhat unable to handle the partner's emotions and always wants to make it all right and then also compromises herself, right? Those are the kind of mommy-son dynamics. And then, of course, on the son um, aspect, there's a there's a feeling of futility. Nothing's ever good enough, can't do it right. Uh, but also there can be a bit of, let's say, um, what looks like laziness, but it's not really laziness. It's just kind of giving up and not really actually leaning into things or trying things or taking things over or taking initiative because it's considered that it's not quite right anyway or uh, not up to the standards or things like that. So that's a common dynamic that, that plays out. And then, of course, within that dynamic, you'll see that the sexual attraction goes because that's, of course, not a dynamic that holds good sexual attraction. And then relational issues can also stem from that. So that's, that, that is why probably the word mommying came up. It's a very common dynamic. And of course, that dynamic in itself is one that has to be remedied by uh, the partner who uh, is being mommied, uh, essentially persevering despite being criticized or despite being 
guided to do it a certain way and the mummying partner uh, having to essentially leave things alone and live with the fact that maybe they're not done perfectly or they're not done at all. And that's a, it's an interesting dynamic to play with because it's a, it's one that's really hard to fix uh, in the sense that in that mommy, mommy, you know, son dynamic, so to speak, there is a huge emotional component of disapproval and that disapproval, you know, like spoken or unspoken disapproval or disappointment is, of course, a great motivator for the other partner because you want to avoid disappointing somebody or being disapproved of by somebody, particularly the person that you're in relationship with. So there's a lot of um, work that needs to be looked at when you want to break the cycle of um, training somebody through disapproval or nagging and also how to break somebody out of disapproval and nagging uh, into a more, let's say, equal adult relationship. So that's an entire topic that I don't know if we want to go in today, but um, th that takes a lot of finesse and understanding how these things fit together. So then if we come to the question of the questioner, how do I help my partner through grief without mommying him, we have to look at grief first. Um, and grief, of course, is one of those really um, heavy, big uh, emotional uh, rites of pas passage, so to speak, where um, those rules don't necessarily apply. And that's, I think, important to understand. Grief and loss are such tremendous, you know, big, sensations and emotions that they can take somebody out completely and there isn't much that can be done about it and so grief and loss as it displays in a uh, in a relationship is often a real issue and a lot of people have real uh, problems with dealing with that because when you are not the one grieving um and you see somebody so bereft and you know full of of the grief, but also the, the the feelings of loss and then the implication of what that means for that person's life. From the outside, you just want it to be over. You know, you just want them to kind of get over it, not in a callous or mean way, but simply because it's so painful to see your partner or a friend go through something that has such abject, you know, like clench and terror and sadness um, on them. And so from the outside, the the often the um you know the the motivation is to make it go away faster or to support it in a way that um feels like, well, maybe if I give them all of this, then they'll snap out of it, so to speak, or they can heal from it. And that of course is counter intuitive to or it's it's intuitive but it's counter to what needs to happen because in grief there is no uh there's no schedule right it comes in these waves and then you you know you have this and I know this from my own experience both in you know having lost someone really really close to me and also you know having lost the house and the dogs and everything in it and it comes in these waves and you have this wave and it's just you can't believe this happened and it's it it pulls the rug out from underneath you and you're in this free fall and then you catch right and then you're like okay i can deal with this you know and you kind of 
go along and then everybody around you goes, oh, thank God, now they've stopped talking about it for a moment, right? And and then, and people go, yeah, 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 okay, we understand. Yes, it was horrible, right? You hear, you, it happened to me and it happens to a lot of people where people just want to hurry it along, but you can't hurry it along. And so when this is your partner and you also rely on your partner for stability and steadiness and getting things done and being reliable, and maybe there's children and there's money and work involved, you don't feel very comfortable when your partner's on the floor in a ball crying for, you know, weeks or months at a time. And so there is a good um, chance that in a relationship, it wants to be hurried along. There's also a good chance in a relationship that what she's describing, the mommying takes the form of the, no, 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 it's okay. Have a cookie, right? That kind of a feeling, which is extremely unhelpful. Yeah, you don't want to tell somebody that it's okay and that they need to stop pulling, uh, you know, grieving and pull themselves together because it actually arrests the situation. So that all said, it's very dicey um, helping somebody through grief. The best you can actually do is give them space to do that, preferably without interference. Right, and so what that means is to maybe create a bit of extra space for them to have quiet time or not be uh, demanded upon as much or go away for a week into the woods or, you know, what whatever that means, but create space without demand and without um, going, no, 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 it's okay. You know, s stop crying, so to speak, uh, which is the mommying aspect of it. So, uh, that would be my suggestion is to give a bit of extra space, have a bit of extra grace around demanding upon the partner uh, to be perfectly functioning. And um, also at the same time, and that's the, the flip side of the coin of mommying, at the same time, trusting that uh, your partner is able to manage it and you don't have to manage it for them. You, know, you don't need to get the grief counselor involved. You don't need to um, demand that they, you know, move it out of their system. But essentially, assume that there is a sovereignty and a and a and an intelligence around the grief that they can handle, and you provide the space and the grace and uh, a bit of generosity around doing so, and then trust that your partner can handle it. So the last thing I want to say about grief as a big emotion between a couple right, and, and the, the dynamic of mommying and, and all of that is that in general, um, I've, you know, I've heard this so many times from women and particularly women's groups, um, when a man has big, big grief or big sadness, big loss, um, it can really impact the sexual relationship. And the reason, of course, is because when um, when that kind of big emotion shows up, it sometimes feels like he's not on task or he's unreliable or um, it's unsafe, right? And that some of that's very primal, where it's not like a conscious thing where somebody goes, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's uh, grieving his mother um, and I don't want to have sex with him. It's not, it, this is not conscious. It's just a slight, ooh, sometimes when 
um, there's big emotion that feels like it, it needs to be contained by the other partner. So there can be something that happens in, in that moment in relationship where the, let's say, the sexual attraction or polarity is not there. But that's not the reason not to support a partner, because in the long term, what you're looking at is how can you both navigate life's big moments? And grief is a big moment, right? When you lose your job or your parents or a child or, you know, whatever, right? It's, it's big. And that's what, what really you have to look at in a relationship is can you actually pull it together when the going gets tough? And then, yeah, a moment of not feeling sexually particularly excited about your partner has to be absorbed in the much bigger picture of, are we in this together? Can we, can we get going together when the going gets tough? Can we step out of our regular roles and take on a bit of more responsibility for a moment or take over something and allow the other partner the, the space and the ability to actually work these things through the body. So so there might be something where it feels a bit, oh, when there's a lot of big emotion happening. And of course, also the partner who's grieving might not be wanting to be sexually, you know, very adventurous or, or even very active. And as long as that's within the context of a, a functioning long-term relationship or, you know, a, a functioning partnership, that can be absorbed. Now, of course, if this goes on for years, you know, that, that's a different story or, but then, you know, then other help is needed. And within that also, we want to be very careful that we're not labeling things wrongly, right? Because on one end, a lot of people uh, feel that men, you know, not showing their emotions is somewhat toxic and that they should show more emotions. But then when they do show emotions, then that's also strange and, and off-putting. So I think there's a real, um, you know, let's say opportunity to check our personal attitude to how we deal with our partner's actual emotions and our partner's actual needs versus what's considered infantilizing or emasculated. And all of those paradigms don't work when it comes to really the big stuff in a relationship. You know, they're useful for creating a better spark. They're useful for having more adventurous sex, but outside of the the land of of the eroticism, there is the there's the the big the continent of um you know actually partner partnering, actual partnership, um, real support for uh, you know, the the big questions, the big growth, the big losses, the big challenges. And of course, when we look at those and when you look at how can you actually work with somebody who you love in moments of real crisis, that's what then makes uh, a resilient relationship and a resilient life. And so my encouragement to this questioner and anybody else who's having to work with that is to look at the bigger picture and not get stuck on well, we used to have, you know, great sex every Friday evening and now he's crying. You know, there is something bigger out there uh, than that. And that's the thing to orient on when it comes to, you know, something as abject as losing somebody or something that's really important. Very interesting. Thank you. I'm wondering if you have some top tips, I suppose, 
for how to help someone grieving in the situation that this question is describing? Yeah. Well, I think there's differences in, you know, is it is it an actual death and loss or uh, death and loss or is it, uh, you know, the dissolution of a relationship or a job or things like that. But in general, I think, and there, there are there are differences there. If you are if your partner has lost somebody close to them, I think the best thing you can do is essentially provide a space for them to grieve uninterrupted or undisturbed, meaning not come in every five minutes, not go, you know, not constantly uh, try and hurry it along. So whatever that means in a relationship, I think that's important. It's also really important. This is true for anybody grieving. When people are in the first throes of grief, the best thing you can do for them, and I remember this specifically, um, is, you know, to essentially make sure that they are supported in the things that they're not going to want to do. And that's pretty much boils down to drinking water and eating some food. And I can't say enough about that because I remember specifically on both of those occasions where it was like really, really, really bad. I I didn't even think about drinking or eating and people had to go and say, drink this, eat this. And when, when, James died. I mean, people would just show up at my doorstep, literally. I couldn't even see anybody and leave soup and and coconut water for me and things like that. And that's invaluable. I, I can't say enough about that kind of nurturing and nourishing, which is not mommying, by the way, but nurturing and nourishing is really, really important. And space, not having to... um you know, justify it or interrupt it and and allowing that shock waves to go through the system. And then uh, when it comes to something like a job loss or, you know, or a, a loss of a big relationship, the be- once again, same thing there, but there also it's good to say, what can I do for you? Right? There's, there's really uh, no general advice, right? Some people want to talk about it. Some people just want to be left alone. Some people need to vent. Some people need a pint of hagen right? So, or, you know, the equivalent of that. Um, some people need a pity party. Some people need a week in the woods. And so the question there is, wh- how can I support you? What do you need? I'm here and um, let's figure this out. So that's really, really important. And then, of course, the really important piece when it comes to something like a job loss or something is to uh, be able to say, look, we'll figure this out, you know, and not go, oh, my God, what's going to happen? You know, Uh, because that, of course, makes the panic and the the grief even even worse. So as much as possible, um, being supportive, and that's being supportive is not the same as mommying somebody. Mommying somebody would be to go, well, you need to figure this out now. We need to, you know, uh, there's a rent to pay the next month. Um, have you done X? Uh, you should go on the job sites. You should, you know, like whatever it is. You want to give it a moment before you start on that uh, track and just let the ripples of the bomb, uh, you know, kind of go outwards and let the center get quiet. And then you can offer support or help as needed. But that's really, I think, the thing to keep in mind with grief is 
Um, you don't want people to stop grieving or make it, you know, like pull themselves together. That's really, really bad when you force people to kind of pull it together uh, because it arrests the natural, you know, unrolling of that in the body. And then it lasts a lot longer and it calcifies and it, it doesn't go away. And so, so it's important to give that first bit of space. And um, if it's not a good idea to be around for that, then just stepping out of the immediate, you know, area so they can have their moment and then supporting from the outside. Thank you. And so as we bring this episode to a close, do you have any final thoughts, concluding thoughts that you'd like to share on this topic? Yeah, I think it's important to remember that, um, you know, there's a lot of new research out there on loss and grief as far as how it develops in the body and the stages. And, you know, there used to be this very beautiful model by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh, the stages of grief. Now we know it's not quite as linear. There is some of that is always happening, but they often happen in concentric circles or, you know, they kind of cycle around these different aspects, you know, the grappling with it, the anger, the abject sadness. There's There's a lot more nuance to it as we now know, as we look at, you know, uh, both neuroscience and somatics. So the the real important piece with grief is to understand that grieving, and I've said this in other, you know, podcasts and before, but grieving is really what we do for things we love very deeply. And so um, the, the grief is kind of the demonstration of love and the demonstration of having cherished something. And that's what makes the loss so rough. And within that come all these different aspects. And so if somebody is dealing with a partner who is, you know, bereaved or bereft or, you know, full of loss, it might be a good idea to also get a bit of reading in and a bit of researching in on the newer aspects of how uh, human bodies and the human nervous system deal with loss and grief so that it's a bit more supported. So that's always a good idea to look at it uh, from, you know, from the outside on what, what can be done or what is happening in the body because unfortunately we'll all have loss and grief at some point we'll all lose people we love in our lifetime and the more we know the dynamics of that both psychologically and physically and also the heart um, the better we are able to navigate for ourselves and you know those we love Michaela thank you very much thank you Steve thank you